2: For Travis Whitmore in North Liberty, Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC.
3: Hello and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. It is Monday, April the 10th, and it is uh, 9.20 a.m. Central Time. I am Rob Howe, joined by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. And yes, it has been a while since we've done one of these, March 23rd. Scott and I have kind of been going our separate directions here but we're able to get together this morning and figured we'd throw one of these together and we'll probably put one on at the end, end of this week too uh after we get some more uh I'm sh- what I'm sure will be in a uh a uh active week transfer portal stuff, spring football, all that stuff, uh, baseball, um and we'll hit on on all that stuff today. Uh, we're going to start though with Scott um had a trip to Japan, which is why he was not on the podcast for the last few weeks. I went to Chicago for a club volleyball tournament this past weekend, which messed us up last Thursday. Um, but Scott, why don't you give us an overview of the Japan trip? We talked about it before, um, we started recording, uh, you can leave out the horrendous return trip (laughs) with lost luggage.
1: Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to put everybody to sleep because, uh, you know, I'll just say that my jet lag is is still pretty significant because of all that, but Scott's
3: been up since 1am today. So if he fades or or falls asleep on us, that's why.
1: Yeah. And I was, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm trying to get to a normal schedule and that's very difficult right now, but, but overall it was, it was a great trip. I mean, you know, going to a place that I'd never been to and, you know, only really, you know, seen and read about on television and, and magazines and, Went and uh, you know went to a volcano, went to Mount Fuji. Unfortunately, it was cloudy that day. Uh, experienced the subway system in one of the biggest cities in the <laughs> world, and with uh, but you know it it's a great country because there are most of the people who are who work with the public have at least a slight working knowledge of of English, just just helpful if nothing else, and. Uh, So, yeah. And my favorite part where, you know, that I would love to bring back to this country are the bullet trains, um, you know, they, they go about 300 miles an hour. So it's like kind of getting on an airplane at the runway right before it takes off. That's about how fast you go. And, uh, so we went to this place called cat Island, (laughs) which, you know, my daughters had been, my daughter had been pushing for me to do since, uh, you know, with our cats here, she, <laughs> I'm like the cat whisperer, and and so we went to this cat island. But it's like a four hour drive that we got there in an hour and a half. I mean, it's um, wow. It, it's it would I, and I just I you know it was like telling my wife, God, that'd be great for not only because my kids live in Minnesota to be on a bullet train, but imagine going to Chicago from here i mean yeah
3: you know, i just made the drive this weekend
1: yeah i know <laughs> yeah including I
3: always, inner city driving for mm, three days
1: uh, i always say happy happiness yeah, your, your nerves are like ah i know <laughs> i gotta go there next month and it's like happiness is aurora in your rearview mirror <laughs> Yeah. <exactly. laughs> you know? but, what uh what is a cat island it is this little island in the middle. I mean, it's in the ocean, and so it took about an hour long ferry ride from this little town. Like, like I said, like three and a half hours north of Tokyo, and we took this hour long ferry, and it's this island where there's only a couple of houses and a couple of people, but they just it's it's filled with cats. <laughs> the cats they're like there. feral cats or? yeah yeah they're feral but they they feed them and stuff but they're mostly feral on this really little island and they have these shrines and and everything like uh, i don't know if it's shinto religion or what but so yeah we uh <laughs> walked around on these cats would follow us around and you know because i'm like the cat whisperer to <laughs> kids, and so yeah it was uh it was something else so we got <laughs> how was the food eyes. Uh, it was good the, the, when we did get to the Japanese uh, places, but it's it's a little bit, we stayed in like this Airbnb, and I mean, tiny doesn't begin to describe it. Think about New York hotel rooms, and it's kind of that way. Yeah. Um, and so most of the places in our neighborhood were, you couldn't really tell if they were restaurants or not. So um, it was kind of half and half where we had restaurant food versus just like, we brought over like pop tarts and stuff, stuff (laughs) like that. But uh, yeah, it was, wasn't quite the experience of going to like, you know, because of the language barrier, Yeah, you know, know, there is some fear there, but, but when I did have the the Japanese food, it was fantastic.
3: Nice. And you were telling uh, me before we started recording about the, uh, your, and we'll use this to segue into women's basketball, your ability to watch over there uh, in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah, the first the first game, you know, it was a it was a primetime game here, but over there it was like at uh noon. Uh Japanese, Japanese the final time. four game. The final four the game against South Carolina, yeah. Okay. So I was in this uh main the Tokyo station. Um it's it's kind of like Grand Central Station, except uh, there's just shops everywhere and it's outside the Imperial Palace, which is about a mile away. And I was going to that, I was just with my son, and I'm like, you know, first half I'm I'm like scrolling through Twitter, I'm refreshing it like constantly, <laughs> and then finally I'm like I got to figure out a way to watch this second half here, and and so we sat outside and and because I couldn't get it on uh, ESPN Plus because it, it doesn't come uh, on in Asia. Well, I took off the Wi-Fi, used the 3G, and it worked, and I'm like, wow, oh, this is great, um, and so I, I watched that game, and then we went to the Imperial Palace and. You know, saw the cherry blossoms and stuff. And then the, the championship game though was at 3 30 AM in Japan. And my wife is, you know, we're season ticket holders because my wife goes to all the games and I go, I've only, I only went twice as a, with her to sit in the stands. Cause I said, it just feels too much like work and those <laughs>
3: seats are awful.
1: Yeah, I know. They need to do, they, they
3: need to-, to do something with the seats in Carver. Cause I sat for the, um, the Georgia game with my daughter in the stands. And I like you, I don't sit in the stands much, but I was like, man, for people with bad backs, this yeah. sucks.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we both do. Yeah. We're old dudes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so we got up at 3:30 and watched the game and it's kind of same deal, 3G, and you know, kind of horrified by the officiating. <laughs> um, you know, not to probably like anybody um, and I'm sure we could talk about this is I thought LSU was the better team that day. I'm not, you know, if they played a world series, maybe Iowa wins, uh, but at least that day, LSU was the better team, but the officiating did not meet the moment. And I thought that was really disappointing because, you know, and, and it, it's one of those things that I know I've tweeted about several times that if in watching women's games, the officiating is not very consistent. And some games, it is really physical, like way beyond what you'd allow in a men's game. In other games, it's like this one was like touch fouls, where, God, everybody was in foul trouble by the second quarter. And and uh, so that was really disappointing to watch, I think, over there. And, um, you know, and of course, there was, you know, controversies that frankly, I just wasn't aware of at the end of the game because I think with a minute to go and it was over, I'm like, eh, we don't have to watch this anymore. (laughs) So it wasn't until afterwards that I saw the the hubbub that continues to go. You know, it was on even on SNL, you know, this on Saturday night. So uh,
3: you think I was thinking about this and somebody brought this up to me, I think on the mailbag last week. Uh, For those that don't know, these officials are not full-time they have, like, real jobs in the world and do this as, like, a second job. Mm-hmm. With all the money in the NCAA that these schools have, is it time, bet men and women, to get full-time officials, particularly, at, you know, for the revenue sports?
1: That's a great question, Rob, and I don't know. You know and-, and would
3: that make a difference? Would they be better if they were doing it full-time? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I mean, most of them do it pseudo full time. If they're basketball officials, that you know, they're they're bouncing around. We talk about their schedules that they're too compact.
3: Yeah, maybe that's a problem too. There aren't enough. Yeah, and they're being asked to do too much.
1: Yeah, and but you know, when you get to the Final Four, there that that shouldn't be an issue. I mean, the issues are when you see,
3: but we've heard we heard official complaints for men's basketball throughout the whole season. And you mentioned, you know, I think as the women's game gets more popular and this year has helped that a lot, it's going to, it'll be magnified more if the officiating is bad.
1: Well, yeah. And it certainly was. I mean, when you have the the most watched game in in women's basketball history, that was beyond what every NBA game this year to this yeah. point, and the playoffs, I'm sure we'll have a few that are, are ahead of it. But I mean, when you get 10 million people on average who watch a game, and Caitlin Clark is a transcendent player, not just in Iowa, but around the world and around the United States. And people are tuning in to watch her, especially, I mean, the way she's been able to meet the moment in the postseason with how she performed against Louisville and then South Carolina. And now, you know, even against LSU and in, in a loss. And, to, but to see the, the inconsistent officiating, not only with the foul calls, but, you know, when you have getting a technical foul uh, for uh, uh, an innocuous ball move, I mean, it wasn't really, there was nothing to it. And then to see, You know, it was all I hate to say this, but it was almost like pro wrestling with with Kim Mulkey being out on the floor and yelling and stuff. And it's kind of like in pro wrestling when, you know, you have a tag team match and people are coming over and hitting them and then they're (laughs) distracting the officials. And then, you know, Iowa got a warning at some point. I mean, just uh, you've got to be better than that. They're
3: inconsistent with that coaching box anyway, On both men and women. Izzo is on the floor all the time. Right. right. And if you at Carver, there's not a lot of room on the sidelines. A lot of uh, because I shoot the south, south end of the arena. I shoot photos in that first half. So a lot of times I'll know because I'm all the way on the left. I'll know where that coach is because he'll be in my way. He'll be in my vision on literally on the court. Izzo's the worst, but there are others that do the same thing and not as bad as Mulkey was ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be out on the middle of the floor and some of those, that's just uncalled for to be, you know, in the the officials path. And then, you know, after I retweeted it or whatever, I had a lot of like LSU fans. Oh, see the officials, the one pushing her. Oh, come on. You know? (laughs) you know has gotta go up and down the court it's yeah, gotta I
3: mean, r- be able to have a pathway to run down the opposite end of the court
1: It's like uh, it should be like, you know, college football where it's like sideline warning, LSU, you know, and maybe that needs to be a a factor. You know, it's like, hey, you get a sideline warning, make it a known, you know, and announced. And then after that, it's a technical and
3: or meet with the coaches before the game and say, listen, we know sometimes it's tight here and you guys are kind of moving out on the floor a little bit. But, you know, we'll give you a warning. Yeah. Remind you the first time, but the second time, boom, you're getting one.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, you know, for Iowa to get one and, you know, warning and for bulky not, I mean, that just was, was ridiculous. I mean, and I, I don't buy into the conspiracy theories and stuff. I just, you know, unless I have proof, I'm just not going there, but I, it's just, it was really unfortunate because at a, at a moment like that, you want the officiating to be pretty much invisible you know they call the fouls when they need to be called there's going to be some that people disagree with but you know by and large just kind of be in the background and it really came to the forefront and and that's really unfortunate and then of course what Lisa said afterwards I think I thought she struck the right tone and said you know we just couldn't have a conversation and I thought that you know and she said that that was really disappointing and I think that's really the the crux of everything with this which was Man, you know, and that's, you know, I'm not going to go there. But that's why what officials need to be ready for is you're going to, you know, you you know, we know how Fran gets. And if (laughs) Fran was coaching in that game, he'd have been thrown out a long time ago. And, uh, you know, I don't see any of those officials being able to react the way, you know, Kelly Pfeiffer did, you know, and just take it. You know, so that's something that the NCAA has to impress upon these conferences and the women's basketball sport that they just have to be better. And maybe that's maybe it's as simple as not necessarily being full time officials, but you also have to do an Olympic sport and officials officiating or you have to be around it just to continue to catch up your um, eyes, your hand eye coordination, because it, frankly the sport is being lofted it's just on a rocket ship and if the officiating can't catch up people are going to be turned off by it they just are and and that's for the casual fans and if you don't get catch capture them it's never going to get progressed from where it is right now
3: yeah it's just strange because they you know they kind of, not in, in a way they earn the right to Referee These games, they get yeah. graded throughout the season. And then, you know, basically you're chosen because of your work throughout the year to work the bigger games than the NCAA tournament, the national championship, final four, what have you. So these officials must have graded out pretty well throughout the year. And I don't know if it was one of them that was having an off day or all three of them or two of the three. But it's just it's unfortunate on that stage where you finally you know, are getting to the point where there are a lot of eyes on your sport. You have a chance to continue to grow it. That that was such a big discussion, uh, you know, a topic of discussion coming out of that game. The officials were where it should have been the level of play and how good these women are at this sport. And for people that haven't watched it before and and getting a chance to watch it for the first time, it's just it's a shame that that was such a focus of the final game of the season,
1: right? I mean, it's hard to remember a lot of the game itself because of, you know, the, the multiple controversies and sticking with the officiating theme. It, it, you know, to have that again, be a focal point, it's, it's a zero for the NCAA. It's a zero for the, the, the game, and that has to be improved. And a lot of times The NCAA when it comes to women's basketball wants to show the growth um, with women officials, with diverse officials, and that's great. And I hope they're the best, but sometimes I've seen it before where they don't necessarily, they try to send a message more than they try to have the best officials on the floor. And, and i And I'm not saying anyone in particular was right or wrong on that. I'm just saying that sometimes they have to be careful with that because at those moments, you want them not to, again, not to be invisible, but not to be at the forefront. And unfortunately, by calling fouls and and the fouls that were called were pretty even, evenly bad and evenly destructive when you have Monica Zanano and
3: the second foul on Angel Reese was ridiculous.
1: Exactly. And she sat
3: out most of the first half because of that.
1: Right. You know, Caitlin Clark got two offensive fouls and it wasn't, it was just kind of movement. And, and then again, her technical foul. I mean, good God, you know, it's just, it was really a poorly officiating game. Now, getting to the game part of it, LSU shot lights out in that second quarter. Um, I was not known for its defense. We know that at least in this sport. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, when a team's hitting like that from three, you just tip your cap. I mean, they have lost games before, so it's not like that they were a perfect season went up and spoke, but LSU shot so well in the first half, but but then when you get when it came down in Iowa, boom, boom, boom. You know, a three straight trips up the floor in the third quarter, they're getting getting three pointers or three point plays, and they cut the lead to six. At that point, they're ready to make a move, and that's when Zanotto got called, and then the technical happened. And I'm not saying that they're going to win, but I'm saying that it really reshaped the game, and probably the best person I've heard discuss it. Uh, with Stacy Dales, uh, who's, you know, if anybody knows is, you know, on NFL Network as a reporter and she doesn't an have. And was a great game. player. Right. And, and she talked about it on Rich Eisen's podcast. You know, here she was an Olympian, a WNBA player for 10 years, played at Oklahoma in their Hall of Fame, Jersey retired. And she talked significantly about the way it was officiating and, and well beyond what you or I could do. And so this is now a week old, but if if you really want to know a little bit more, what Stacy had to break down on, on Rich Eisen's uh, podcast and radio show from last Monday was outstanding. So I would recommend listening to that. I listened to it on the plane, um, among the many other things I listened to and watched. And you know, lot, learned a lot about Three Mile Island. I watched that four-part uh, uh, Netflix series on the way there and that, or way back, and that was that was pretty good too. Felt like Three Mile Island after the game too.
3: Yeah, the uh, for me from a from a basketball standpoint, and I may have mentioned this on the um, mailbag last week. I can't remember, but um, Alexis Morris to me was the difference in that game. Um, her ability to hit mid-range jump shots. And, and Iowa allowing her to do that, that was like the, what they were going to give up. Mm-hmm. She made almost every one. And then on the other end of the floor, she, you could tell she watched a lot of film of Caitlin because Caitlin likes that right dribble, left foot, step back. Yeah, yeah. Morris was right on her. She yeah. As soon as she took the step back, Morris was like, boom, right there. Yeah. And she made, she... Caitlin still had a good game, but she made her work for it. And that's all you really can do with Caitlin is make her earn her points. And then obviously the other components of the foul trouble and, um, you know, the, the girl that came off the bench and was averaging two points and hit what, 21 in the first half, all those threes. Right. I mean, when you said at the top Scott that LSU played her played better, it just played better that game. Yeah. If you take away the, the poor officiating and the ending of the game, with the controversy of that LSU just played better in a one game setting. And that's what the NCAA tournament is. It's one game.
1: Yeah. Well, if you think about all of these, uh, the upsets that we see in the, in the NCAA tournament, in the men's tournament, the, the three fourteens on a, you know, occasion or, or, you know, what happened with Purdue and fairly Dickinson, right. You know, if they played seven times, Purdue's winning six and usually seven. How it lost that one, I'll never know. Uh, But you only have to play once. And that's why it's such a thrilling tournament. And uh, in this case, um, you know, just like if Iowa played South Carolina um, multiple times, it may not win more than one or two. Right. South Carolina is a outstanding team that handled itself very well, you know, throughout the, the process. I was very impressed with Don Staley and and Leah Boston and, and just everybody associated with that program, you know, that's a class outfit and um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, in a one game setting LSU shot lights out. Iowa couldn't keep up. Iowa did, tried and didn't try and wasn't successful. And maybe had Monica Zanano not been in foul trouble early. She might've had an opportunity to, to make it a different type of game, but you know, I'm not going to take away from what LSU did. LSU won, no question.
3: And as far as the end of the game controversy, I talked about this again I think last week on the Mailbag, so I'm not going to throw a lot out there. Let's got share his thoughts on again, he was overseas, um way overseas and did not uh did not well, he said he turned it off once it was decided, so missed in real time what happened yeah. at the end of the game. And really we a lot of us we we didn't see a lot of it at the end of the game. It was like you know, an hour after the game, then the videos. you know how it goes on social media, the videos are coming out, and then the commentary starts, and then the drama starts. For me, this is the way I view it, and I played basketball in high school, always has been my favorite sport. There's just, there's a culture in basketball of trash-talking. It goes back for the beginning of time. Michael Jordan, Larry Bird was a famous trash-talker. It's almost accepted. Where in other sports I'm not sure it would be as accepted, but you kind if you're if you have the upper hand you get to talk shit. It's just kind of part of the sport. And what I got out of that from Caitlin Clark is she saw what Angel Reese was doing, um, and basically was like, "I got to take this because I did the same thing." Really, what she wanted to say was, "Let's run it back." Because on the on the school you know in the schoolyard a pickup game basketball is one of those games pickup games two on two one on one three on three always trash talking. there's always talk going on you can't guard me things like that that's what Caitlin Clark was thinking she's like shit we had a chance to win the national championship she won the national championship she's giving it to me let's run it back let's run this thing back and we'll beat you the next time that's what's going on in a competitor basketball player head. And they understood that. And I just don't think people on the outside really understood it. People were trying to measure, well, Caitlin only did it for a few seconds. Angel did it for too long. It's trash talk, man. It's part of the game. Let's run it back.
1: Yeah, it's part of the game. I I, I tell you what, I saw Keith Duncan blow a kiss to Scott Frost and, you know, and I'm like, how can you get too upset? That that I'm sure Iowa fans weren't upset about that, no. you know, then they weren't upset when you know she's doing the John Cena, you know, thing. <laughs> now I, I didn't know
3: what that was. I, <laughs> I didn't know that was a John Cena thing. I'm yeah. not I'm not a
1: wrestling dude. Yeah, me me I either. used to be. No yeah.
3: mascaras and Andre the Giant. That was my pro wrestling experience.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was back in the 80s when they kind of consolidated with uh, Yeah. Uh, Iron Sheik and what have you. Um, no, uh, you know, here's kind of how I fall on it. During a game, I'm all about it, man. It, it's just the way it is, you know, and as you said, in basketball, if you don't like it, tough, you know, that's that's the way it works. And uh, And it's like that in football, too. I mean, don't let the, – oh, uh, It would be great to have the, these guys, yeah.
3: like Iowa and yeah. Iowa playing Wisconsin or Nebraska, have those yeah. guys mic'd up
1: on the field yeah. during the game. That would be entertainment. You know, I got to see a lot of that firsthand with Iowa State winning last year. I was down by the tunnel, and, you know, when they got the trophy, man, they were all over the Iowa players <laughs> talking shit. So, um, I'm sure this year – nobody's forgotten about that. There's no Dan, you know, and I'm sure if Iowa loses a Wisconsin, you know, playing jump around is going to be in their face, you know? So there's all kinds of smack talk among rivals and around, among teams.
3: I think the yeah. irony is the people that were complaining the most are some of the people that talk the most smack on social media.
1: Yeah. Right. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, get a mirror. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, the only, the only thing that I, I was like eh, a little uncomfortable with is that, you know it's it's kind of over with and you know i guess if and this is maybe the the modest iowan in me is kind of like when it's over don't shove anybody's head in the shit yeah <laughs> it, it's over you know it's like you know talk talk your talk during the game talk your shit go for it but it's over it's like congratulations you know shake hands go celebrate and not kind of chase her around the court about the, the ring and the, you know, but is it the big deal to me? No, it wasn't. I think it's been amplified to the point of, wow, I didn't think this was a big thing, but good or bad for the sport. Mm, I think it's, it's good. Initially. I think it's getting to a, I think if it settles down, then it's fine. Then it's great. Um, if it continues to linger and of course, you know, race has been brought up into it. And I've seen some really stupid ass takes on, you know, some, I saw some people calling Caitlin Clark a Karen and all that <laughs> bullshit. And I'm like, you know, fuck you. You know, that that's, that's where to me I get pissed off. It's not, okay, you know, hey, Angel Reese could do whatever she wants. She won. You know, she, you know, yeah, was I a little uncomfortable? Yeah, but oh, well, you know, who cares? A
3: whole Move lot on. of ignorance. Yeah, is what we saw the last week plus a lot of ignorance,
1: and it is mutual on both sides. And it's just like, okay, you know, and and then of course, it ends up like on SNL, (laughs) you know, it was funny, I tweeted after Caitlin
3: said, you know, Angel Reese shouldn't get criticism. I tweeted that out and said adult in the room. And it was funny watching some of the people on social media think I was talking about LSU and Angel Reese when actually I was talking about the people that were commenting on social media. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And they don't see it, but I didn't, I didn't see the SNL. I saw, I think Mike Kalas may have put it on his Facebook or something. And I think I I saw it in passing. and didn't get a chance to watch it yet.
1: I was watching it live and I have it on DVR too. So if you need to come over and watch it, you can. (laughs) But you know, it's like you got first... VHS or Betamax? <laughs> I do. I have a well, not Betamax, but I do have a VHS. Uh, you know, that I still have a shit ton of VHS tapes. You got Real
3: the it... Real? You got film on Real the Real?
1: Uh some of, a... <laughs> some of it has been transferred over to DVD. It's okay. like my grandfather's, you know, but uh it has been transferred to DVD now. But no, they all right, sorry
3: to interrupt. What was no. the SNL bit?
1: <laughs> it's, it's not a VHS now, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like the first part was, uh, talking a little bit about the Bidens and, and Jill. Oh Bidens. yeah. I
3: didn't even think about talking about that part of it.
1: Yeah. And, uh, Michael Che's like, yeah, and Jill Biden's inviting her, her BFFs, BFFs, the Iowa women's basketball team. And then they, then they had, uh, I think it was ego Wonham, uh, dress up as Angel Reese. You know, and she's just kind of going like this and we in a jersey and all that. Is and, that good
3: though? Because people, right people are people, yeah, people are thinking, you know, people that have no idea what that what they're even doing in that skit are like, and then they check it out. They they try yeah. to get background of what they're doing, what the comedy is.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, those of us that know about it, it's like, oh shit, they're they're really going at it. And then other people are, you know, it's it's perfect for the sport. I just think right now, whether it's Um, if, if Angel Reese wants to take the next step, it's like, okay, go be magnanimous at the White House. Um, you know, you can joke around all you want. You can even talk a little smack, but let's, you know, let's not be in your face to the Bidens. You know, that's really... For that side of the fence, that's not. Her. You know
3: how this works, too, Scott. They'll get together. They'll be at the White House. Jill Biden will explain what her thought process was. Angel Reese can explain why she was offended by it. And you have a conversation.
1: Yeah.
3: And you work through it and get in a better understanding of each other. That's the way it should work.
1: Yeah. But does that ever happen in no, social media? No,
3: not on social media. You're not no. going to solve any of the world's problems, including uh, trash talking of women's basketball games on Twitter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, and then you have, uh, you know, and then going back, you know, that Haley Von Lith, yeah. Van Lith, who's now in the transfer portal. So I'd be really curious to see where she ends up. But, you know, I, I think after Louisville took like an eight Oh lead, you know, she's, She's coming back screaming, get off my fucking court, bitch, you know, and all this stuff. And then that's when, you know, Caitlin Clark's doing this and, you know, saying stuff like you're down 15 points. Shut up. You know, and it's like, that's and these fine. are and these are kids that oh,
3: not kids, young yeah. adults who played together. They've been yes. before and they're still talking
1: trash. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you have that those elements and I think it's just it's fine. It's perfect and during the game, it's fine. It's perfect. And, you know, after the, after the game, I thought, you know, again, it's kind of like, this is just me being uncomfortable a little bit. And it, it didn't matter if it could have been, if Caitlin would have done the same thing, I would have been the same way, which is after you win, you know, be, be a gracious winner and a, you know, and a, not a sore loser or anything. And just, you know, congratulations and move on. But Hey, you know, that's, that's not me. And I'm, I'm clearly old enough to be their, Certainly their fathers, if not their grandfathers. So
3: I think Haylin Clark has just a good understanding of what her sports need, what mm-hmm. her sport needs and what, it, what helps her sport. And I think she sees the value in angel Reese mm-hmm. and what she brings to the sport and Aaliyah Boston. Um, and, you know, And go down the list of these personalities. Mm -hmm. These these young women have personalities. And that's a great thing that they're getting to showcase that and how good they are at this game. And that's what it should be. So now women's basketball, don't let this fall flat. Set up games next year. Get LSU and Iowa together in December. Mm -hmm. Not too early in the season where they haven't had a little get a little um, get a little chemistry going because there's new players and things like that. Set something up. Get the sport out there. Put it on ABC.
1: Let's go. Let's get let's keep building this sport. I put out an idea that I think would you know that I don't know about early in the year because it gets overshadowed by college football. That's and, true. and the NFL. You know, and if it's on a Saturday in December, you got NFL games or or whatever. But what I'd like to see is like, let's say the weekend between the NFC and, and AFC championships and the Super Bowl. That like what's that end of January, or beginning the, of February? Yeah, like first or second week, it'd be like the first weekend in February. Okay. That you have like an eight, you know, eight teams, four games celebration of C. Vivian Stringer at Madison Square Garden. That's a good idea. You know, because C. Viv, you know, had to retire basically throughout the pandemic. Um, She has been a giant in the sport that really hasn't gotten her due, I think, at a large scale. Um, You know, obviously took Iowa to the final four, a thousand career wins or whatever. I think if you had like a celebration of C. Vivian Stringer, have the Stringer shootout, or something like that at Madison Square Garden four games include Iowa, Yukon, definitely Yukon cuz the, the following yeah. back there they would they would bring yeah. a lot of people to the garden. Right? Absolutely, yeah. and being nearby there. Yep. Um, LSU, maybe South Carolina, maybe Indiana, Rutgers for sure, Tennessee. And if you yeah. have four games it's, and it's a neutral site so then it could go on an ESPN family of networks. And ABC because it's not on the Big Ten purview. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you have that um, in that vein, in that window, and you have a Caitlin Clark and an Angel Reese, and maybe it, maybe you schedule it, it could be Iowa versus UConn or Iowa versus LSU, one way or the other. You want that matchup, and uh, boom, you've got something there. And the personalities in women's basketball are so much greater than they are in, in college ba- men's basketball. Yeah. I mean, you just look at the two national players of the year. I mean, no, no offense to Zach Eady, He was terrific for Purdue, but do we know him? (laughs) Do we, you know, is he said anything done anything other than being seven foot four or whatever, and scored a lot of points for a team that got, you know, beat not only by a 16 seed, but a team that shouldn't even have been in there because it's champion couldn't compete Merrimack. So they throw fairly Dickinson in there. Um, you know who who's the who's on the all-american team that we look at and go eh, yeah you know the personalities on the women's team as you women's side as you've seen with caitlin clark and Haley von Le- van Lith, and the the cavender twins you know from miami yep. and uh angel reese and Aliyah boston i mean these are these are known players and systems it's Rob, in a different way, it reminds me a lot of the 90s NBA, where you had teams, and you had systems, and you had styles, and you had personalities, you know, yes, it's on a much smaller scale, but it's You know, when you have Jordan and the Bulls, that's basically, you know, Clark. And you got Angel Reese and and LSU. That's like the bad boys in Detroit. And, you know, and you've got, you know, you just start throwing up, making these kind of comparisons. And, you know. It's kind of a building, too,
3: right? You think about Sabrina Linescu. Yeah. And even back to, like, um, Lisa Leslie. I mean, women's basketball has had some really excellent personalities. And I think now what really we talk about the NIL window and things like that, Scott, whereas the men, they're still the top players are one and done for the most part. The women, they can benefit from staying into college, you know, for two, three, four years, whatever it may be, five years now with some of the COVID. You can kind of build your brand, right, and build your program's brand by sticking around and making more money than you will in the WNBA. Most of the WNBA players have to play overseas during the off season, right? You could stay in college and make more than what they're making that that's, it's a great opportunity right now for women's college basketball to build this brand and build the brand
1: around the star players. Right. No question. And, and that's, that's huge. As you said, I mean, it, it's like, people around here from the eighties men's basketball in the big 10, you knew who was on every team. They were there four years and some of them still are, which is why there's um, respect slash animosity. And it works both ways for some of the players, uh, you know, probably, you know, what Indiana and Wisconsin and Northwestern fans felt about Jordan Bohannon and Connor, Connor McCaffrey. And, you know, and you look at the same way with, with some of the others, but, but that's not, those aren't the all Americans that are sticking around like they are in women's basketball. And, um, and as you said, they could build their NIL brands now. They also, so you can, I mean, Caitlin Clark probably will make more money NIL wise at Iowa than what she would in the WNBA. On top of that, you, when you start talking about institutions college basketball is, has is bigger and greater than that of the WNBA right now. Um, It's, you know, the institution, the university of Iowa has a much more loyal following than the Minnesota Lynx Mm -hmm. or the LA Sparks or New York Liberty. So you, you know, if you're even a marketer, wow. You know, you, you've got a bigger following for her. If you want to have the air logos, which they need to freaking do (laughs) for, for Caitlin Clark at the university of Iowa. And she's going to get all kinds of stuff there. Uh, So I I think, I think the sport has a real opportunity here and Iowa has a real opportunity as we saw, Um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't working last week, but I did read through the emails and saw that they paused (laughs) ticket sales. I mean, Rob, we have it, it. we might have a higher attendance for the women next year than the men in Iowa. I would, mm-hmm. in fact, right now it appears to be the case. And they set the Big Ten record this year for highest average attendance, significantly higher than that what it was before. And then on the road, as I've said uh, quite a few times, that Iowa's average on the road is 3,600 people more. In a lot of cases, it was like 8,000 more. You know, that's the Caitlin Clark effect.
3: Yeah, no doubt, and the NBA should pay attention too, um, because as your as women's college basketball becomes bigger, and it should if they do it right now with you know with the attention they were able to draw this season and the star players continue to build their brands in college, then more people will follow them when they get to the WNBA. Then you can grow the WNBA. That's kind of how it can work if they do it the right way and we've seen it before with like the U S you know, when they had, you know, the gold medal teams in the U S for USA women's basketball, but this is different. This is, you know, that college loyalty that you can follow into the pros. We see it a little bit this year with Keegan Murray, with the Sacramento Kings, more Iowa fans. You need to kind of get that network moving for college women's basketball into the WNBA and hopefully grow that a little bit more, um, So there's, you know, that is something that the college, you know, get that balance towards hopefully they stay in college for three years, but then get that balance that they can get that bump when they get to the pros as well.
1: Right. And, and they don't really have the opportunity to leave early, if I recall. It's
3: three, right? Is it three
1: or? It's at least three. I mean, so it's not like that you can be one and done and that wouldn't matter. I wouldn't. That could that change
3: game. too. I could see somebody challenging that,
1: but <laughs> yeah, that's
3: a conversation for another yeah. day.
1: Right. Well, uh, for the money that they would make in the WNBA, I don't know that that would be worth yeah. it um, at this point. But no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, and you look on the horizon when Caitlin goes to the WNBA, you know, whether it's after one more year at Iowa or two more years at Iowa, um, you know, the Minnesota Lynx should have a game in Des Moines. <laughs> you know, or, or let alone Iowa City, but Des Moines would make more sense for a lot of reasons. But, you know, you really should capitalize on these moments and have these types of games and in uh, these types of places. And and, you know, we, I'm sure they'll try to whether it's gerrymander the draft or whatever, to ensure that when Caitlin Clark gets up there that she's playing. But tonight's the draft for the WNBA. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Monica Zanano will be drafted probably in the second round. So, um, you know, i I've, more exposure, more good
3: publicity, more, you know, attention for your school
1: and your brand. Exactly. So this is this is really a seminal moment. This is a moment where everything is pointed towards it because it wasn't that long ago. and We both remember it where where, you know, they had curtains at women's games. You know, and you know, sitting there on good call on <laughs> with with Brent Balboni on, you know, we you know, he'd be like, "What's it gonna take to get you guys there?" You know, that sort of thing. Well, it's entertainment now. It's not. It, it, there's a loyalty factor that colleges rely on to you know you know businesses. Okay, I'll buy the four tickets and support the, right. the the college, but then those businesses are giving away those tickets you know, two thirds of the, of the games or they're just sitting blank. Not anymore. I mean, you know, as we saw, you know, it's this year, it it was pretty incredible already and it's going to be nothing short of spectacular come, come winter, next winter.
3: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, obviously. um, I was really in a good spot in terms of being able to utilize the transfer portal. I know, there are no scholarships available, and I saw some bickering on Twitter today about running kids off. Here's where I am on that. Um, whether it's you know Kirk Ferentz and his staff or Fran McCaffrey and his staff or Lisa Bluter or Tom Brands or Rick Heller or Joey Woody or anybody, just be honest with your athletes, and I think let them make a decision. If they want to stay knowing they're probably not going to play – I'm not one for running kids off in that because you made a commitment to them, bringing them in here to develop them. And I know it's a business and I know it's, a, you know, you have to win. That's the bottom line, all that stuff. But it is still college athletics. And for me, I'm not one to say run people off. But if you bring player X into your office and say, listen, I just I don't see a path to playing time for you right now. Something could happen. you You know, there's an injury or we lose somebody where you could get a path to playing time. Just be honest. And then if the kid wants to move on, and if you look at Iowa's roster right now, the women's basketball team, that is, there are a lot of kids that did not see any playing time this year. Is there a path to playing time for them next year or the year after? Are they willing to wait for that? To me, it will sort itself out.
1: Sure. And I think you, you, you know, I mean, we've seen it before with the football team where, you know, if you bring in a, you know, back in the old days, a junior college kid, or, you know, sometimes there was a transfer where you'd have, all right, you're at 86 and uh, but organically things work themselves out. And I could totally see that with the women's basketball team. You know, I, the Ava Jones situation is interesting. It's a great story. You really are rooting for her to get her life, you know, back because that was such a horrific situation.
3: Medical Uh, scholarships count against the count, right? No. Oh, they don't. Okay. So she, her, her scholarship next year does not count against the.
1: Well, it does now until they, but if they, once they make her a medical, she can never play at that school again.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a tough decision
1: then. Yeah. So that's why, like with Justin Britt. Right. You know, that he's uh, on the football side, he's a medical now, so uh, he'd have to leave in order to play again, and that's why he's entered the portal. Yeah, um, and that's that's the case just about everywhere. And his, you know, so they've got to figure that, navigate that one carefully, I think. Um, but you know, there are other players too, as you said. I mean, when you know, they're playing largely what eight or nine. Um, yeah, they
3: tightened it up even more yeah. in the tournament. I mean, they reduced Molly Davis's minutes at times. She got took a got shot, in the, took a shot in the head too. That probably yeah. didn't help. But right, um, yeah, they she really tightened the rotation up as they got in until they got in the, <laughs> now, trouble <Yeah. laughs> trouble yeah. in the championship game and she had right. no choice.
1: Yeah, and you know they've got Kylie Fierbach coming back after an ACL, and she played a lot of minutes. Uh, the year before, she's a really good player. She and Gabby Marshall are comparable, in, in their abilities, I suppose. Um, you know, Sydney Ottfalder is going to play, and probably more. She's Kate Martin's backup. Um, you know, you, where you know, uh, I would anticipate Hannah Stolke is going to take over for McKenna Warnock. She's a different kind of player. She's certainly not the shooter, uh, but she's got more speed and she can really run the floor. So she's. More of a typical four, not like a stretch four, like Iowa likes to play. And, uh, but the number five is the biggest question mark of all. I mean, how do you replace Zanano? Um, she, you know, was very, very good, you know, and had to replace the irreplaceable Megan Gustafson and, and did so with, you know, I would say really similarly to what Philip Rabracha did replacing Luca Garza. You're just not going to replace that type of player, but you can go in and play your game and, and do well. And, you know, maybe even Zanano was better than, you know, Rabracha did a great job I thought. And, and I think Zanano was even better than that. Uh, so that's the portal spot that they really need to get. They need to get a, a tall, you know, athletic five and they're going to have to figure something out and I would go get one. And then, as you said, you know, kind of handle the portal situation um, organically, you know, and forcing kids out. I don't like that. I don't like that for any sport, let alone women's basketball. But there there will come a time when you're going to have to kind of lean in that direction and just make it so obvious to a player or two players that, listen, <laughs> you know, we've got a rotation set now at 10 and you're probably about 14.
3: And the Man. one good thing, Scott, is kids know. Yeah. They know where they stand in the pecking order. They're at practice every day. Some have maybe uh, unrealistic um, views of things. You know, there are some that, you know, I'm just better than everybody else, even though they're not. But mm-hmm. for the most part, you things get settled in practice, and you know where you stand uh, on the depth chart, for lack of a better term. And um, I don't know. Is, Ad, is Addie O'Grady – Ready to take that next step? Can she be, you know, Monica Light and then continually get better like Monica did? Do you, you know, is, is that good enough with everything else you have around? Um, so you don't, maybe, maybe that offense comes more from stalky or. Um, somebody else, where you're not getting as much from the five, but you're getting it from other positions. And it seems like Lauren Betts is the the one that everybody is kind of mm-hmm. pining for in the yeah. Iowa fan base. The kid that's leaving Stanford was the number one recruit. She played yeah. uh, one year at Stanford. Uh, number one player in the country, I believe. Um, at least number one post so that's the one I'm being asked about I don't have any information on her um, I would think though as we said earlier hey I'm a post player and I'm looking for a place to go where I know somebody can get me the ball where I can score right I, I yeah. think I think I was in pretty good shape
1: there yeah if you I, I mean Iowa women's basketball is kind of like Iowa wrestling when it comes yeah. to recruiting now I mean, it's like, you saw what she did. You saw what Megan Gustafson did. You see who we have at, at guard. And it's not like, you know, some people want to say, oh, she's just a ball hog. Oh, yeah, ball hogs lead the country in assists. <laughs> Dumbass. You know? And so, <laughs> you know, they they see who they got. They, they know they got Patrick Mahomes out there, directing traffic and, and the passes. You know, I, the only thing I would say is, can you handle that smoke? I mean, because she can she could sling it. Oh my God. Is she good? You know, as great of a shooter as she is. And, but as a distributor, she has no peer. I've never seen anything like it, men's or women's. And uh, you know, the one thing with the post is um, Zanana was great when you got it to her kind of waist up, but getting her down was, you know, I thought, I thought Caitlin had a lot of turnovers that weren't necessarily her fault. There were a lot that were, cause she, she slings it, but she's a gunslinger. She's Brett Favre. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I think if you have a, a little bit more athletic post and certainly bets is, is in that category that I think, you, you know, <laughs> you could uh, make that work. But then I would also love to see another step taken by Addie O'Grady at times. I was kind of like, Oh boy, this is, this might be a challenge. And then, then, but in the tournament, she played great. So I don't know that she's Zanano, but I think she's certainly capable of being a quality backup, but playing a lot of minutes. And if you can have kind of a one-two combo in that position, especially because losing, you're losing McKenna Warnock, who's a really good stretch for, I think you're in really good shape.
3: We will see how things shake out this offseason. I would anticipate some movement on the Iowa women's basketball roster. It's just the way it is right now with the transfer portal and trying to Uh, roster management is just a year round, uh, uh, you know, venture these days for all sports. So I would, I would be surprised if the women's basketball team came back with everybody that's on the roster now, but you never know. We'll see. Um, obviously it's an attractive landing spot and we will, uh, we'll talk about that more moving forward. We're going to take a break now and then we will come back and talk some football and men's basketball and big 10 commissioner. Um, Update from Scott and all that good stuff. Want to let folks know that support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. We'll take a brief break here for hear from a couple of our sponsors. And uh, Scott and I will be back on the other side. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed,
0: insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean, all combined into one menu. Visit... 5 Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at ArisaIC.com.
3: All right, reloaded the coffee, good to go here. Uh, Want to let folks know as well, I know I've mentioned this this place to Scott, one of our sponsors, Ariza Asian Cuisine, over uh on the corner it's in the corner around the corner of highway six highway one in iowa city um they're running a special now scott if they mention our podcast if they mention hawk fanatic podcast uh hawkeye hotspot podcast any of our podcasts you go in there 10 percent off 10 mm-hmm. percent off your order right off the top
1: all you gotta do is mention our podcast i'm definitely going there one of these days <laughs> i I, uh, i'm in north liberty so i go to a place really next door but uh now that i i know about this i'm (laughs) i'm a cheapskate so i'm (laughs) definitely all over this
3: (laughs) good food my family's had it once and uh we will go back as well and again folks just mention our podcast Ariza asian cuisine excellent food 10 percent off your order thanks to the hawk fanatic podcast scott um, let's go to, uh, do some Iowa football here. Um, they got a commitment last week from a, uh, a young man with a familiar last name, uh, who told me he's going to Iowa because Iowa fits him. Not because Jack went there. His name is Drew Campbell and he does not want to be Jack's he, he's I've interviewed him a few times and he's made it pretty crystal clear that he wants to be his own dude.
1: Mm-hmm. Don't blame him. You know? And, and Jack is all about that too. I, I did catch uh, you know, when I was in the airport, I, my first air experience uh, last week was 26 straight hours at either airports or airplanes. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun, but uh, I saw Jack was on good morning football uh, on NFL network. So I watched the clip and talked about his, his brother picking Iowa and and uh, he just wants him to be his own man. And Jack's always been that way. So yeah. good good for Drew. Uh, Rob, do you see him more as a defensive end? Yeah,
3: different type of player than Jack. Um, Jack kind of grew into being a middle linebacker at Iowa, um, was a little thinner when he came in and just kind of built his way into that position. I think Drew's already more physically developed than Jack was when he was coming out of Cedar Falls. And from what I've watched, and their highlights, granted, people are going to put their best stuff on those highlight tapes, so you're seeing the best. Um, But he's got a really good motor, um, nice combination of size, speed. Um, I think once he gets to Iowa and, you know, Kelvin Bell and Jay Neiman start to teach him the position, I could also see him eventually being a guy that could swing inside or out. Um, on the defensive line, depending on how his body physically develops, um, but I really like him. He's got a motor. He comes at you nonstop. Kind of what you would think of if you're saying, oh, "I wonder what Jack Campbell's little brother's like." He's a guy that's going to come at you nonstop. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nobody's ever said that uh, Jack took the the long way around on uh, in a football game or a football field. <laughs> no. <coughs> well it's interesting because Jack had those opportunities to um to move to defensive end and he said he's told me before that those conversations were um made above him you know that he really wasn't involved in them, but that was a, a focus more so in 2019 2020 especially in 2020 um before COVID really smoked everything. And, yeah. and uh, you know, in talking to Seth Wallace about it, he was very reluctant. He really fought against it because he's like, if I lose him to defensive end, you lose him forever. He's gonna be there forever. And I still felt like he'd be the linebacker that he was. And um, you know, there there was some discussion because yeah, Dylan Doyle at the time, who was yep. really good and um and whether or not that you know, do they need two backers like that? And he also had Seth Benson and stuff. Yeah. So it was like, you know, Jack's long frame, you know, he's six five, you know, he's now he's 250. But if you build him like a an, an edge rusher, he's 270. And uh so the, you know, luckily they kept him at linebacker, and that made a lot of sense. But i heard Drew was more of a DN type anyway, and, and I think it's a great move, uh, you know, because he fits in. He, he saw for four years what it meant uh, to be there. And, and I, I think, uh, you know, he, I know Matt Campbell had a, a lot of things, you know, had a lot of impact on Jack on whether or not he was going to go there. Minnesota was not part of the equation. Um, it was really an Iowa State thing. And so I'm sure he had to think that over. But, you know, good move for Iowa. Good move for Drew Campbell. He'll be a, you know, I, I would not be surprised to see him taking some rotational snaps pretty early in his career, even with a stacked defensive line like Iowa has.
3: Good class this year in 24 uh, in-state, Scott. And uh, Iowa's doing very well. Identified a lot of these kids early. Um, A lot of these names the listeners will know. Uh, Cody Fox, offensive lineman from East Buchanan. Uh, Derek Weiskopf, just a tremendous athlete from Williamsburg. Cam Buffington, Drew Campbell, uh, and Preston Reese. Reese. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's uh what seven commits and five are in-state kids in this mm-hmm. group, and that you know James Reeser from uh, is it Reeser?
1: Yeah, I think that's case or Racer. I, I I don't know. I'll Racer
3: Reiser. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have to see when we write for you guys listening. When we write, we don't have to worry about pronunciations. Yeah. We just have to spell it right. It's harder now that we we do more vocal things. That I'm not as mm-hmm. I'm not as uh, apt to ask a kid how to pronounce his name. But I yeah. need to do – I need to be better at that because I need to say the names. Yeah. Um, and as Josh Janowski is a, an offensive lineman from Lincoln Way East in Frankfurt, Illinois. So Iowa's up to seven right now. If you go by 247, uh, overall 16th ranked
1: uh, class in the country so far, Scott. Mm. Good start. Yeah, it's a great start. And they really – I mean, they kind of worked in tandem – 23 and 24 classes. And uh, they needed that in state because last year they got beat. They lost Iowa state beat them. And, you know, and the other schools did too, but um, it was a picked over unit. But when you're losing central Iowa, the way that they were losing central Iowa and and Iowa state made that a a priority. I wrote about that with, uh, you know, hoodie, Derek Hudger, you know, their director of recruiting and, and why they make central Iowa a priority you're going to have to win some of these matchups. Iowa used to be able to kind of say, these are the kids we want and we'll get, you know, and for the most part, outside of a Michigan coming in for a receiver like Amara Darbo or Adrian Arrington, they pretty much got who they wanted. And Iowa State took whatever was kind of in their purview and maybe they battle over one kid a year. Not anymore, you know, <laughs> they're toe to toe. And so I think bouncing back, getting guys, Drew Campbell being among them, but, but uh, you know, Weisskopf and, and Reese and, and Cam Buffington, you know, the one thing I always, I just wonder is they all are, are look like really good athletes. It's a matter of trying to find the right spot for them all. And, and hopefully for Iowa, it's not all the same spot. They're not all safety slash linebacker types. And they've got to, you know, figure out is Cam Buffington, is he a linebacker, and only a linebacker. Derek Weisskopf is he
3: it goes back to the Jack Campbell, Dylan Doyle thing, right? Yeah, where you're right. like, okay, well, how do we what where do these pieces fit in the puzzle? Yeah. And but I I like the idea, and I know you agree with this. You get really good athletes. Yeah. Like Norm Parker used to say, yeah. get them on the bus and then you'll find the
1: seat. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> that's exactly the way it is. You know, it's like Make sure that you get them so they're not hitting against you. You know, you'd, right. hate, you'd you know, you'd hate to say, "Well, we've got Cam Buffington from Winfield Mount Union, so you know, <laughs> Derek if you want to go to the Iowa State, go ahead." Yeah, and no. then you know, and then it's like uh, Jake Knott and you know those guys and AJ Klein. Yeah, but, but uh, <laughs> so I think you're you're okay with that. But um, no, I, I,
3: uh, you're I definitely I, going to need some wide receivers in this group, Scott. They need some wide receivers
1: period right yeah, now.
3: Yeah, well they're going to need the transfer portal here in a few yeah. weeks and then yeah. but they need to get some
1: guys in this this 24 class. It's a perpetual problem. And it's it's like a you know we we kind of laughingly would talk about the airbag thing from 10 years ago. Receivers worse. This is not good. You know, to be where they are now and, and nobody blames Brody Brecht for what no. happened. And, you know, you'd be an idiot if you are. And I, there was one person who was an idiot, like after I wrote the story. I'm sure there was more than one. Yeah, but there was one who was like, <laughs> it was. you know, football, look at what Kyler Murray did. I'm like, you dumbass, you know, that's the first overall <laughs> pick and he's a quarterback, you know. But <laughs> you know, but when you look, he's he's an eight he's an eight figure guy, you know. But it really leaves this team shorthanded. And you think about not that long ago, we were talking up that class with him and Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce. And wow, that's a really good crew. And what a great job, you know, that, uh, you know, Cope did. You bring him in. Gone. All wiped out. You know, and then when you have Seth Anderson hurt and, you know, and soft tissue injury and, and stuff, it's like, holy cow. If I'm one of the backup defensive backs, I know we talked about it before. Man, I, I think strongly about switching positions because this is your chance. To get, if you're AJ Lawson, for instance, or, you know, somebody like that, where you have it, now is your chance, man. Um, if you got it, you know, it's because, you know, having Nico is great. Um, but these, you know, right now they're, you know, and Deontay vines, but that's it. Yeah. You know, you do not want to be in the same situation you were last year, you know, and certainly your offensive coordinator will not want to be in that because you might be winning 17 to 13 and that's not going to keep you employed.
3: Yeah. I wonder about the kids coming in, uh, in June too, Scott, you know, you got Jarrett Bowie um, Dayton Howard. And then, uh, you know, of course Alex Moda from up in Marion, uh, if I mean, the opportunities there for these kids, depending on what Iowa does in the transfer portal, even if Iowa does something in the transfer portal, you have to figure they're going to have to give these true freshmen a long look.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, and basically, you know, Jacob Bostick. you know, he is.
3: Yeah. Well, I anything. saw him at the, uh, the when they let us in for practice. He's on yeah. a scooter.
1: Yeah. And so you can almost forget about him until least August. You know, and that's not. Dejon
3: Parker had his yeah. foot in a uh, contraption. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's just like God, can it? Can we? Can we? Can we have nice things?
1: Yeah, right. Especially on that side of the ball, God. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I think that right now they're they're going to have to hit the portal um, in a couple weeks at receiver. I just don't know what how do you, you think can- it's going to be like in May. Is it going to be like
3: just the Wild West when this thing opens up with NIL money? and Because now everybody's coming out of spring and they know what they need after seeing what they have in the spring. I just wonder how crazy it's going to be and how hard it's going to be for Iowa to compete.
1: Hmm. Uh, Good question. Good question. I just don't know. And, you know, here's the thing. I mean, how many players decided to go ahead and stick with their team through the spring, through the spring semester and, you know, good, you know, some of the elite ones, you know, let's say you're at a Mac school and you felt like, wow, you know, I, I had a really good year. And then, and then you start looking around and let's say you're at a, at a Mac school, hell, even a Missouri Valley school. And you're thinking, yeah, I could go and be at uh, this school, you know, school or I look over at Iowa and I'm thinking shit I could go over there and play right away in the big Here's team. my
3: addition for the transfer portal. You have the guys that are going in the transfer work, and then you have help wanted from mm-hmm. the colleges. The college have a, have a, they have their own section of the transfer portal, the window that says what well, Iowa team needs, receiver, yeah, offensive line, whatever, you know, yeah. and then so then the recruits that are in there can say okay, those these are the schools that are looking for my position.
1: Yeah. So you think they should have it like an advertisement? Yeah. yeah. Like a classified ad. Help wanted. Wide <laughs> <Help> receiver. Classified <laughs> ad. Oh, no, That would be great. Bring those back. Big make bold class- letters
3: with the capitalized help wanted. Receiver. <laughs> make,
1: make classified ads great again. <laughs> back in the 90s. So. Yeah. That. But, you know, if, if nothing else, Iowa should do that on social media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh because again, you know, what, what you figure looking at this unit is Nico, he, he, he's your, you know, here's your North star and, and Deontay vines. Um, <clears throat> I thought he played well last year. He, but I, he's what you say flashed. Yeah.
3: But he's going to have to show it consistently.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and at some point, you, you know, you're looking at it going, well, yeah, he, he did a nice job. Is he more than that? We don't know. I mean. And then Seth Anderson, you you'd expect him to be competitive, um, what, but he's not healthy now. You know that's really another thing. And Jacob Bostic has never been healthy um, through, throughout that. You've got newcomers, but you know they're not like five stars. You know you can't just say, oh yeah, they're like, this kid's going to walk in and be a starter. Or, you know, I mean the the one the <clears throat> the two guys that really came in and looked like they could compete right away We're a long way from freaking competing and that was Brandon Smith who by the way caught a touchdown pass in the XFL yesterday nice congrats, congrats for the DC defenders and Amir Smith-Marset and he was very inconsistent he had two touchdowns against Iowa State and he had no, no other touchdowns the rest of the, uh, the season so uh, You know, so bringing in, whether it's Alex, who I think is pretty refined for that as an athlete, but not necessarily as a receiver, or the others, you know, Jarrett Bowie or Dayton Howard, you just don't know what you're going to get right away. And and so I think if they could get anything, you know, from the portal, that's going to be, you know, a rotational piece, you know, I think that's where they need to go. But because really the unfortunate part is, that if they get continue to get hamstrung there, you're not going to see the progress that might be there with a new quarterback who I expect to be much better and possibly with the offensive line, even though that they're dealing with their own injuries now too, with, you know, with Parker and, and Mason Richmond and stuff. But, um, but other than that, you know, then you look at the other side of the ball and I'm like, Holy shit, this this unit is going to be, they're going to be mauling people, man. It's, it's going to be, Fun to watch if you like defensive football. Iowa's right there. So same movie we saw last year. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hopefully
3: the offense has made some, make some uh, some take some strides forward. But you're right. I think Bowie, Howard, and Moda are all what you what you would call raw. Yeah. At, at that, but you never know. You get a kid in and things click quickly, and you just maybe. Um, reduce the playbook a little bit and just get them in there. So they're, you know, they're a threat. Maybe Moda can be that guy. Maybe, maybe Boo or Howard can be that guy. Um, I, I mean, I'll date myself here, but I remember when Clinton Solomon came in here as he was a high school quarterback in Texas, he came here. We weren't expecting anything from him. He came in his first year and boom, turned heads at receiver his first season here. And that's a long time ago, 20 years ago or whatever it is, but it can happen you kind of need us, you you need some of these guys to step forward, Scott, in addition to hopefully getting one. To me, I, I know it's dangerous, but I if if I'm investing in the transfer portal, I get a go-to guy. Instead of maybe getting two okay guys, I, I go for that go to guy and say, Hey, you're the guy. You're our outside guy this year. We we you know Cade's here, we need an outside guy, you're it. Here's the money, here's the bag, come to Iowa City.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No question. I think you do that in the worst way. Now the question is going to be Rob, and we both know this is, you know, can, can the collective afford a a good receiver or, or are you going to get in a Sophie's choice of a good receiver or a center on the basketball team, you know, and that's going to be, that's going to be really interesting because I don't know how that's going to play out, you know,
3: uh, Especially when you've already invested in football in December, and now basketball is like, hey, where's ours?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and which way do you go? I mean, I guess that's why they make the bucks and they collect the bucks. And, you know, I mean, and, and, what did, did, can, because I saw somebody
3: uh, either on Twitter or message board say that he donated to Swarm. But he wasn't asked where he wanted that money to go. Mm. It was just to the general collective. And I'm wondering if they get to that point. But then, you know, is everybody going to say, I want all our money to go? I, you know, everybody's going to put it in football, and then you don't leave any for women's and men's basketball. So I don't know how, what the,
1: I guess the best way to function would be. Well, I, I think if you, I think you've got to let people, there there should be different avenues and veins in that and yeah i agree which is hey i'm got a subscription to you know the swarm and i'm paying 200 bucks a year or whatever that that should be a general fund right and dispersed you know because you're not even talking about getting guys and players you're you're talking about paying the ones who are going around and and doing the the jobs you need them to do going yeah
3: those smaller donations i think you just put in the pot
1: right but then if Hey, I, I want to write a six figure check to go get some players, and I care about football and I don't give a shit about basketball. Then I think my six figures should go towards football, you know, or vice versa. Or if you're, <laughs> you know, want to, you're, you're a women's basketball supporter. Hey, I want I want to make sure we go get that post. This is when
3: I part. wish that the Iowa athletic department was more involved with the collective, yeah. so they could work hand in hand on this stuff. I think it would make it easier.
1: Right, you know, and I think. You know, I'm sure the coaches are heavily yeah. involved. Yes. You know? So And I guess man, that's
3: probably the best way to do it, too, yeah. is to go directly. But right. I think somebody in the overall athletic de- department needs to kind of uh, manage everything so you don't have one coach saying, hey, we really need this, you know, at yeah. the expense of another. Co- it's just, it's complicated, but we're still in the infancy, really, of this whole thing.
1: Right. And And again, then it comes down to, uh, you know, if there's hundred K let's say out there. And, you know, does it all go to men's basketball? Does football say, sorry, you're just going to have to go, you know, through the school unit, you know, you've already had your, your money or, you know, is it, Hey, football pays the bills. Football needs it more than basketball. You know, that that's where I I'm fascinated to see how this turns out, not only just in Iowa and we're watching Iowa very closely, but, but all schools, frankly, know because i just think that it's uh
3: there's so much money available too when you think about the media rights and donations and all that stuff there's you just wish
1: they could figure it out Mm -hmm. without having any leadership whatsoever at the ncaa level it's really difficult and they they fucked themselves a long time ago they and now there there's another suit again yeah and it's just going to continue to happen and um had they had this all sorted out 10 years ago, had Mark Emmert been able to um, do anything, anything, you know, when Shabazz Napier is complaining about going hungry and King Coulter is trying to form unions and things like that. They, How is that not a warning sign for these people? They They, they don't care. You know, <laughs> they don't have to answer to a, to a board of directors and yeah. make sure their shareholders have to get paid and there's an owner who wants to get paid. I mean, it's, you make it, you spend it and yeah. they don't think, and it's like, Oh, well, you know, this is the student athlete experience and blah, blah, blah. And all Scholarship. Ho- Hoity toity bullshit. And it's like, <laughs> guys, this isn't, I, I mean, I remember sounding those alarm bells 10 years ago going, this is changing. You, you better figure it out or it's going to be gone. And then they get blown out on a, the most partisan, sp- sub- polarized Supreme Court in the nation's history, nine to nothing. OK, you're dead. And I, I think right now, you know, it's, it's time to completely revise everything and probably let football go its separate way and have its own um, governance structure and try to pick up the pieces with uh, the NCAA and the uh, maybe the other sports, maybe through uh, academic components, but it's a dead institution, you know, and Charlie Baker is going to try his best, I think, but you know, it's going to be, it's dead in the water.
3: You mentioned before we started recording we fold this into when we're talking about um, suits <laughs> um, and I mean, not lawsuits. I mean, like yeah. suits that you wear. Uh, Big Ten Commissioner, uh, still an opening there, Scott. Are we getting, uh, are we going to get a new name here soon?
1: I think we might be getting close, Rob. I mean, I, I know that there, there's been some talk and talking to some people around it that they were really wanting it done in sometime in April, you know, which is now. I mean, we're talking three months since. Kevin Warren announced he was, you know, going to go to the Chicago bears. And, and I know he's been at the NFL meetings and stuff. So it, it's, it's reached that uncomfortable point. I think it's kind of like we've all experienced it where, you know, you're you give your two or even three weeks notice. And then all of a sudden you're just kind of like, you know, everybody's talking about moving forward or what you're going to do next month. And you're like, ah, I'm ready to i out. out. Yeah. Outing. I'm worried about that. And I think that's kind of where they are with the big 10 because they still need to, uh, Finalize some of the, even though the media rights have been agreed upon, there's still some intricacies involved and, and and of course, you know, the meetings for the CFP and, and, uh, you know, so largely what they want from a commissioner and that I've been kind of told is they want somebody more college centered, you know, the last three main hires um, the Big Ten, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 have all been kind of outside the, the purview of college sports and it's been, uh, you know, it's up and down at best. So I think they want somebody who's able to communicate with student athletes in a way and kind of understand the inner workings of college collegiate sports. So I think it wouldn't be surprising to me if if by the end of the month we have a, a new commissioner in the Big Ten and ready to go.
3: And what the hell is going on with football scheduling? <laughs>
1: yeah, we got an, <laughs> we got another month plus before that thing happens. So,
3: so we're not going to know about twenty four and beyond for a while. Kind of what the structure um, is going to
1: be. Yeah, that's getting close. Um, Nicole and I wrote that a couple weeks ago, and before I went on vacation. And that is that there are three options that they've centered on. One is the the three six six mm-hmm. everybody gets three we've talked about that another one is uh, two protected and then you cycle through everybody uh, like over a four year period you'd play uh, two teams three times and then everybody else twice and then the other one is more of a flex plan which they kind of like the coaches hate which is certain teams will have more protected rivalries than others. So like Iowa might have three protected rivals, Maryland and Rutgers might have one USC and UCLA might have one and just kind of have this unbalanced scheduling, um, pattern, I guess. And, you know, I think that one probably makes as much sense as anything. I I've always been an advocate of the three, six, six, and then you just start switching up with some of these after, uh, you know, after you've reached the, uh, you know, the fourth year, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, there, there are rivalries that are Iowa holds dear and then they're, you know, Michigan has two and other teams. I don't think have the any.
3: problem with all this Scott is, you're going to piss some people off. There's no way you can't piss some people off and they're trying to piss off the fewest amount of people possible.
1: (laughs) Right. That's my take. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and like the, the other, the other details that it's easy to talk about, well, Iowa has three rivals and Illinois has two and you know, whatever the, 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 the couple things that they're working through with any of these methods are, Uh, number one only one west coast trip per year for each team Mm -hmm. that makes sense so you don't want to have nebraska for instance playing at usc and at ucla in the same year
3: how about like nebraska going to usc and rutgers Mm
1: -hmm.
3: (laughs) because now you're going both ways so you gotta you know i wonder i yeah i think that's a great point i think travel has got to be a big part of this scott
1: And it's, it's big in football and it's massive in the other sports sports is just, you know, they've got a long way to go. The other part is, and this is kind of the intricacies of scheduling that they want to ensure that in no case ever, will there be three, nine and O teams now, you know, so, because there's, there's going to, so they got to, Inner work and weave the schedule. So you never have that chance of three nine and O teams. So, you know, how do you do that? Well, you just got to check it all the time, I suppose. (laughs) You know, and and it's, you know, and, and, you know, for instance, you think about a given year, what if it's Ohio State, Iowa, and USC, and they don't, that none of the three play each other and they're all nine and O? That's, that's nightmare that scenario for the big 10. They do not want that to happen under any circumstance. And, um, you know, and ultimately with a 12 team playoff, it's not going to matter that much, but it does matter as far as seeding, who gets home games, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, cause you get two teams playing in the championship game, you know, the winner is going to be in the, get a buy, but what about the third team that doesn't quite get in there? So, so th- they're thinking about those types of things and it, it's, there's a lot, but, I would say that there'll probably be a commissioner by the end of the month, and that commissioner will have his or her uh, voice into the discussion. It'll probably be more in the neighborhood of catching up and, okay, that sounds good, and that's it. But, (laughs) you know, uh, but yeah, most of the people are pretty sworn to secrecy on this topic.
3: We will keep an eye on that. Look forward to finding out who the new leader of the Big Ten will be. Uh, Scott and I will be taking a little break here to hear from some sponsors, and we'll come back and wrap up with a little Iowa men's basketball talk and check in on the Iowa baseball team as well. Hang in there. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, this is A.J. Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the
3: absolute best
2: when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people
3: buy them. And we are back. And yes, I am still drinking coffee at 1040 a.m. It may be an all day affair of me drinking coffee after spending three days with screaming kids in a so it was at McCormick, Scott, which you're familiar with, because we've done Big Ten football media days there. I never realized how enormous that place was. Like we would come out of the hotel and go down the elevators and you pay, take a pretty much a straight hallway to the, you know, the, the ballrooms or the meeting rooms where we would have the the interviews with, with big 10 players and coaches. There's a, there's stairs there that go up to this other section of this place. And it's just enormous. And there were 150 volleyball courts. They fit into this thing. Wow. Yeah. And it was nonstop from 8. a.m. To like 10 o'clock at night just screaming so that is why i'm drinking a lot of coffee and i'm recovering in a different way than coming back from japan i'm coming back from chicago but hours upon hours of watching club volleyball and screaming parents and screaming kids and uh a good time was had by all
1: oh man i tell you what <laughs> i'm glad i don't have to do that um God bless all of you uh, parents of, of traveling sports teams, whether it's the volleyball, basketball, this baseball, softball. Uh, It's a
3: lot different than we were kids when we were kids, when there'd be like CYO leagues or, you know,
1: intramurals, things like
3: that. Those are gone.
1: Yeah. I can't, I, I have a lot of friends who, you know, do the baseball thing, you know, travel teams and stuff. And, And that's just something that I never would have enjoyed, which is sitting on, you know, let's go travel four hours and spend our entire weekend watching five baseball games over two days. It was just like, you know, and, you know, my complexion couldn't handle that, that much sun and I'm not a big fan of 90 degrees anyway. So it's, uh, (laughs) thank God I didn't have to worry about that.
3: Uh, Dino helped us out here. Um, I'm going to take your word for this Dino. Um, he says, Scott, that anyone who gives one K or more to the collective can earmark the money to where they want it to go. So that's wow. the cutoff.
1: Thanks Dino. That's great to know. I appreciate that. That's yep. Yep. So, uh, and that's well, a
3: decent number. I mean, yeah, you give a thousand oh, yeah. bucks, you should be able to say where you want it to go.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, again, there. I would say the majority of Iowa fans are supporters of both sports, but it's not unanimous. I mean, and there are people who, you know, again, they like football, but love basketball or vice versa. And, uh, there should be some sort of a, yeah, a opportunity there. And, you know, now with Chris Murray, officially announcing he's going to the pros and, um, uh, a surprise There's, to no one who was paying yeah. attention. Although uh, it's funny reading some of the message boards. that <laughs> Oh, he's not ready. He's not ready. He's not good enough. He should be benefit from another year.
3: Yeah. So all the, all the NBA general yeah. managers on the message boards and Twitter yeah. saying what Chris Murray should do, even though he's pretty much projected in every mock I've seen to be a middle first round pick. So that's guaranteed money. He'd be yeah. a fool to come back.
1: Oh, exactly. I, there was the one that cracked me up, and I think this was on Kaker's uh, board. Somebody said he's a third-round pick. <laughs> they haven't had the third round in the oh. NBA in, like thirty years, you know, or more. Now you know? that would
3: be a trick if he ended yeah. up being a third-round pick. Yeah. He should like play the lottery or something because yeah. that's the odds of that happening aren't good when there's no third round.
1: Yeah, no, there's no third round, <laughs> so yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> the NBA you know, they, they would be very disappointed to see a lot of the the NBA selections because when you look at these players who are, you know, I remember what, there was a Michigan state post player and I can't remember his name now for the life of me. And this is six, seven, eight years ago because the time's blending away, but you know, he never really even started. He was a first round pick, you know, and it was just, it's potential. It's what you think. And when you look at Keegan this year, who set the NBA record for most threes, now that, you know, by a rookie and who would have guessed that, not me. No. You know, that, you know, they're looking at, at Chris and saying he can do that or close to it. And he can't, you know, he's a year off. So for Joe Iowa fan, <laughs> to think, Oh, he's not good enough. Well, how much NBA have you watched? Well, I don't watch it until maybe the final. Well, okay. Then you don't know. And you don't know how good he could be if he's put in a specific system that emphasizes his skill set, and he has players around him who are just as good or better than he is. So that that's really that, that you know. If you're it's me, it's it, you. Hear, I heard the same thing with uh, you know every football player who leaves early, Lucas Van Ness. Yep. Well, you know it, it is true with Lucas Van Ness. He he probably could have been, he could have improved a lot had he come back to Iowa for one more year, but he's gonna improve a lot in the NFL and get paid for it. Exactly. And not not have to go to those high school or the middle schools and read the students. So and not <laughs> have a, another
3: year of college of wear and tear on his
1: body. Exactly. He's gonna be top 10, top 12, top 15 pick. And same thing with Chris Murray, you know, come on, you know. He, read the projections they're not wrong and uh and then put you know really what it's what they're mad about is iowa didn't have a lot of success this year and and chris sometimes wasn't there the way you'd want him to be but you know the team wasn't there either it wasn't all on him they got to help him out too he can't just be a one-man show otherwise he'd be the best player in the country which iowa has had recently Mm -hmm. no question and
3: uh we touched on this a little bit in the previous segment, Scott, when we were talking about the football and NIL and transfer portal. This is obviously a big off season for Iowa men's basketball. And what can it do in the transfer portal? We had, uh, I wrote something on this last week, so I'll bring it up because my my mind isn't what it used to be. Um, they were involved with a big guy from St. Francis and PA Josh Cohen, who ended up picking UMass before he would he was supposed to visit here this past weekend but instead committed to UMass um from what um last week at the end of the week before he had a chance to visit here um so that's one guy who was scheduled to visit that is now off the board as of now they still have two guys that are scheduled to visit BJ Mack 6'8 245 at a Wofford average 16.6 five six rebounds uh last year uh and his finalists are iowa arkansas south carolina alabama and lsu you got to figure that's a tough get uh he was at lsu uh this past weekend he's at alabama on the 14th iowa on the 17th uh south carolina on 21st and arkansas on the 29th if he makes it to all of those uh and then uh we talked about Fairley Dickinson earlier, was able to get into the tournament because Merrimack was not able to get in yet, because it's still waiting on its probation to get into the to be eligible for the NCAA tournament. Stupid rule. Uh their best player, Jordan Meyer, uh, who was the co-conference player of the year, the Northeast Conference, he shared that award with Josh Cohen, who ended up going to UMass. Uh, but this kid's, I really like this kid. Um, and his finalists are Iowa, Virginia, Seton Hall, and Florida Gulf Coast. Uh reportedly will be at Virginia or was at Virginia and Florida Gulf Coast this past weekend. And he's got Iowa and Seton Hall this upcoming weekend. So definitely active. It looks like Scott, at least, you know, on the surface, without having talked to Fran or the Iowa coaches about this, they're aiming at a certain level. Of where these guys are coming from, coming from. St. Francis, PA, Merrimack, um, and Wofford. So they're not going for other Power Five guys in the transfer portal. It seems like they've settled in, kind of at a level that they're looking for. But I mean, you look at these kids. It's not like they're they're trying to beat out Hofstra, and you know, name another directional. Uh, state school or something like that for these guys. It's stiff competition, even at this level.
1: Yeah, sure it is. And, and I think that's really where, you know, you know that's one thing about basketball um, is it, these, these guys go to these small schools and they, they can showcase their abilities. And they do, they grow, they get better. They, get, you know, and Bracha. they develop and then boom, you know, they have a great year. You know, Philip Bracha being prime among them, you know, in his first year he was good. Uh, role player and then last year he was one of the i thought one of the 15 or so best players in the big 10 and and you know somebody wofford or wherever i mean you know all i have to do is look at like some of the starting lineups of like the the bulls championship teams you know i think back ron harper miami of ohio yeah michael jordan north carolina uh, dennis rodman was what southeast oklahoma yeah you know uh is that school even
3: still around
1: yeah it's a d2 uh uh, central arkansas for scotty pippen you know and then you have but luke longley was he um i think he was new mexico so you know
3: nicks did that too charles oakley anthony mason
1: right john starks Mm -hmm. exactly so you have all that and it's like Uh, these guys play, they, they play a lot and they play well. And, you know, and, and really once you get past the, the lottery pick five-star high four stars,
3: McDonald's all Americans. And even though, and that's not always a a guarantee.
1: Right. But, you know, and once you get past that, then it's kind of like, there, there are a lot of similarities. It's just a matter of geography in a lot of cases. And, you know, if you're the, Consider the eighth or ninth best player in Indiana or in Florida or, well, maybe not Florida, but, you know, Tennessee or something like that. And you get look, all of a sudden it's like, all right, all the main schools around here have already filled their boat. And you're looking around, even in Iowa, you know, I mean, A.J. Green goes to yeah. the UNI. Yeah, he's a pretty damn good player, <laughs> you know, uh, go, you know, Darren, uh, Tucker DeVries ends up at Drake. You don't think he can't play at Iowa or Iowa State? Shit. So, uh, you know, I, I think everybody's fine in this one. Going there, and a lot of times what you get out of those smaller schools is you get less ego. You know, they, they've had to go through the, the rough stuff a little bit. You know, a, a league where maybe they didn't get a fly, uh com, you know, charter. <laughs> you know, they had to take long bus rides yeah. and, and commercial flights, and they didn't get – all the the bells and whistles whereas if you're taking another uh power five guy who's dealt with it all and a lot of times they're a little more entitled and I'm, I'm, I'm talking more generically but you know and, and they've underperformed you know and at, at least you know that they performed if they've been at wofford or saint francis or north dakota yeah and uh, like we talked about minor and uh
3: colin were coped Northeast Conference players of the year. They were deemed the best players in that smaller conference, which gives you a pretty good idea that they could play at a higher level. Um, They're not going to be the best players on their team when they get to that higher level, but they certainly are rotation and, you know, guys that are going to help at, at the higher levels, at the power five, at the, you know, high majors, however you want to classify it for basketball. But It seems pretty obvious. You lose, you know, you lose Chris Murray, you lose Rabracha, you lose Connor McCaffrey. They need some help out of the portal. Um, It's a good recruiting class. I don't know as you're going to get major impact. I certainly think you can get contributions Mm -hmm. um, from Owen Freeman and Brock Harding and um, Price Sanford and, Who's the guy from New Jersey? I always forget his name. Yeah. The other forward.
1: Yeah. The other forward is Bill Moore. Yeah.
3: But, you you know, you hope to get something out of this freshman class, but you need some veteran help. And we'll see how this shakes out. It's a different error than you just go in there and say, hey, we have playing time. The NIL is a component here, and we'll see how this all plays out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's where they are right now. And, and I think that's, you know, and, and if you don't have it, I mean, one year in basketball can set you back like you would not believe. And and if Iowa just can't get the right portal pieces after losing Chris Murray and Connor McCaffrey and what have you, I mean, and Philippa Bracha, and they end up 12th in the Big Ten, just just a minor setback, well, then that leaves you wide open and exposed. You'll get crushed on the recruiting trail, and your players will know it very quickly, and they'll want to leave. And, you know, and your yeah. recruit, your it's open season on your recruits too. You know, uh, you know, Coop, you know Cooper, Koch, you know stuff like that. So you've got to you've got to be very careful. And 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 I don't think anybody should expect Iowa to necessarily go win the national title. But I think you know it's it's a matter of you want them to be competitive, and they're going to have to be competitive in the portal and and ensure that you know guys like Patrick McCaffrey and Peyton Sanford have pieces and Tony Perkins have pieces around them that can take that next step. And, and uh, you know, Jelly is leaving again, you know, this time's for good. I can't imagine that they yeah. bring him back, you know, a delay never developed. Um, it was unfortunate because it was such a good story early on and, and you know, and then bringing it back, you know, it, it made sense, but they could have really used a second post, second center, and Yeah. And whether it was injury, lack of development, what it didn't work. And so they're going to need to, to, you know, and Riley Mulvey is he's had two years now and um, can he take that big step? I don't know. You know, and you, you, you can only gamble so much. You can only hope for the best <laughs> so much because otherwise, again, in the big 10, if you don't have a post who can throw down, you're going you're gonna to lose half your games right
3: there. Well, we'll see what the investment is like in the Iowa men's basketball program. You think about the last three years, Scott, you lose Wieskamp, Garza. Then last year you lose Keegan and Bohannon. Now this year you're losing, you know, three key pieces. If you want to keep it going, you got to invest. Mm-hmm. And I, Frank McCaffrey certainly has his faults. He's not perfect but I do trust him as an evaluator of talent. He's proven that time and time again, that he knows guys that fit his system, uh, and they're, they've done a good job of that through the years. You know, Guys that weren't always highly recruited uh, that have come through and become good players. So um, I think if he says, hey, this is the guy we should go for, these are the guys we should go for, hopefully he has the support, and hopefully it works out because that's where we are now. It's not just... It's not just, hey, we got a freshman class coming in, and this is what it's going to be like. It's constant, as we talked about with football, women's basketball, constant roster management.
1: Yeah. Fran Fran, has the, Fran does have an eye for talent. There's no question, and he's a good coach. And, and even the ones that are the upper tier, um, Jared Utoff, you know, transferring, uh, Tyler Cook, Adam Woodbury, very good players. Uh, he missed on some others, I thought. You know, the guard situation seven, eight years ago, well, 10 years ago recruiting-wise. Missing out on Monte Morris was a was one that I think might – you know, you want, everybody wants to look at Tyler Uless. um Either one of that. those could have changed the trajectory yeah. of the program. Tyler was one that may, maybe he had it, you know, even though Tyler told me it was Michigan State, if it wasn't. But I think that was because yeah. when I talked to him, Michigan State was in the final four. <laughs> you know, so that made no sense. Recency but, bias. Yeah. All right. I mean, they were in the other locker room that day, you know, yeah. and, they, and Kentucky was undefeated, but, but beyond Tyler Eulis, you know, losing out to Kentucky at the last minute is going to happen. Yep. Monte Morris was the one I thought that really goes down as kind of the painful one. You know, they have a, a you know, relationship, certainly with Roy marble, um, uh, and they didn't have a spot, you know, because they were all in on Mike Gazelle and, and Anthony Clemens from the year before. And, and both were good players, but Monte Morris was, you know, the all-time leader in assist to turnover ratio. He was yeah. exactly what this program needed. And, uh, and I think if as, as tremendous as Iowa has been at probably four positions under Fran the the do it all guard has been the elusive one for him, you know. Devin Marble is probably the closest, but you know. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, Wees Camp Pro Garza Pro, uh, the Murrays Pro. <laughs> yeah, they just you know Utoff and Aaron White. You know they're getting paid too, and Devin Marble getting paid, and even Peter, Basabi, Jock. Peter Jock and Basabi. But the break it down point guard who can score and can do it all. The, the Caitlin Clark of men's basketball. Although, you know, that's pretty elusive. Like, and, and some of it was unfair because damn, if he could have had Marcus page. Yeah. I might've changed it too, but.
3: And we'll see what the Bowen, he had kind of a up and down freshman year. I think he lost confidence. I think the coaches lost confidence in him. This is his chance now to, um the opportunity is there with Eulis moving on. So yeah. um, it's up to him.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he's staying. At least it, uh, you know, he hasn't announced any changes. I don't know of anything. So um he did get to play against Auburn.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so they didn't completely write him off.
3: You can you see flashes there. He's got a yeah. chance if he can put it together.
1: Yeah. It'd be great if there was like a PTL. <laughs> you yeah. can see it. You know, God rest the PTL. <laughs>
3: We will keep an eye on and talk more about Iowa basketball, obviously, as we move here through the rest of the spring and into summer and see what roster happens there. We're going to wrap up now. We don't have a ton of time here, but I want to at least talk about Iowa baseball. Um, you know, was on on that great run earlier in the season. Now has kind of hit um, roller coaster a little bit. Scott lost three in a row, won three in a row, and now lost the two last two games and uh, uh, Saturday was just a heartbreaker, 10 innings, 2-0, uh, but lost the last two games in Bloomington this past weekend. Have the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee in town this Wednesday over at Banks Field. That is a 4 first pitch, and that's trivia night. $2 week. It's 2 bucks to get in. Can't beat that. And then Minnesota uh, up in Minneapolis this coming weekend. So your only chance this week to catch Iowa is this Wednesday, Wisconsin-Milwaukee at Banks Field. Um, Then next week is uh, at Chicago, University of Illinois-Chicago, Bradley at home, so a couple midweek games, uh, and then a big series with Nebraska coming in the weekend of the open spring practice. So if you're in town for football, going to Kinnick on that Saturday, uh, there's a Friday night baseball game against Nebraska. You can see Brody Beck, uh, match matchup against one of the better offenses in the big 10 in Nebraska, uh, then a two Oh five on that Saturday. So you can go to Kinnick, catch the open practice. When that wraps up, go over to banks, catch that. Uh, and then Sunday, the 23rd is military appreciation day, one Oh five pitch there. But uh It's been the bullpen, Scott. Inconsistency in relief pitching has really been, when Iowa has struggled this year, that's what they're still trying to figure out. It looks like the starters are in a good spot. Obviously, when you have a Friday night starter who's going to be a first-round pick in 2024, most likely, Uh, you're in good shape there. Uh, The bats have been pretty good and pretty consistent overall, uh, but very inconsistent in the bullpen so far.
1: Yeah, and it's unfortunate, as you mentioned, Saturday, they just have that, uh, uh, you know, they they had a really good pitching performance and it got kind of wasted without any offense. And they, you know, got a runner thrown out at the plate and and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I I think this team's still pretty good. It just takes some time. You know, they had such an incredible start and beating LSU and everything like that. It's now, you know, kind of in this uh, little lull. And if they get straightened out um, and I expect when you have that kind of pitching, starting pitching, not only Brody Breck, but I think Marcus Morgan's been really good. He has. He's been, definitely,
3: definitely settled in,
1: you know, that I think they got a chance to, you know, put something together. So, um, you know, it'll be 83 on Wednesday, Rob. Um, nice. Yeah. So it's the eight mid we've got low eighties uh, for most of this week coming up. So, Baseball weather. Yeah, perfect. wear your sunscreen. Right. Go over to there and on Wednesday, I guess. And well, what time is the first pitch there?
3: I don't know. Uh 4:05. So 4:05. maybe sneak out of work a little bit early, get over there. If you can't get out of work, get over there a little bit late and check it out. But um looking at the RPI, Scott, the NCAA's official RPI, mm-hmm. Iowa checks in right now at 57, uh, 19 and 8 overall, four and five on the road eight and one neutral, seven and two at home. Um, So where they are at right now. And that's, it's kind of the, the, the battle you face, right? The uphill battle you face being a Northern baseball team.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's not always the most fair, but you know, you know, what they can do is just control the games. They can control if they, if they do what they're supposed to do, they'll be in the tournament. That's, that's what I think. If they, if they finish, third or better in the Big Ten I think they'll be they'll be in there and then uh, they've got they've got the t- kind of team that's built for the Big Ten tournament yep you know they've got frontline starters and if they can just have some as you said some bullpen if they get a couple of pitchers that can step up and be you know hold leads and and do all those types of things I think this is a still a, a very very good team it, it's it's a sport where you just don't win them all. I'm sure LSU is going, I can't believe we lost to Iowa. Yeah. So, so I guess Iowa could say, well, I can't believe we lost two out of three at Indiana. But, you know, take care of the ones you can take care of. And that's Wisconsin, Milwaukee. That's Minnesota. And, uh, you know, and then win, say, two out of three against Nebraska, and you'll feel pretty good.
3: Yes. Got to get back up there and uh, not have any of those bad midweek losses either. You can't really afford that when you're in the big 10, those really hurt when you lose to, you know, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, or Illinois, Chicago, you can't right. lose those Bradley. Those are, and, and Bradley's I uh, probably a little bit of a step up from some of those other that usually the Valley's pretty good in baseball, but got to, got to take care of business in those non-con midweek games. And then, I think Iowa's got three or four home series left for the big 10. Got to make hay at home.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got to, you got to, you got to win two out of three, you got to beat the teams you should beat decisively. And then the, you know, like, like this weekend, you know, should have won two out of three, you know, they had the opportunities. They didn't get it done. Now, you know, they'll reevaluate and Heller's a really good coach. So they'll go get some mileage out of that. But but Saturday was a pain in the butt. Yep. To, to really to go into extra innings and again have a guy thrown out at the plate and then give up a home run and lose. that that's that one really hurts because you're gonna lose games. You just it's baseball, but win the ones that are winnable. Wednesday night
3: yes, Wednesday night 405 first pitch, Wisconsin, Milwaukee. That's your only chance this week's week to catch. Uh, Iowa baseball as Scott said temps in the 80s so good chance to get out there enjoy the spring weather that feels like summer and some Iowa baseball Uh, we will talk about Iowa baseball again Scott and I are going to try to get together again at the end of this week we've got some football ability on Thursday so our normal time spot time slot at nine on Thursdays probably isn't going to work maybe we'll push it till Friday Scott and I'll talk let you folks know when uh when we're going to do this again later this week after we probably after football availability on Thursday. Um, anyway, whether it's Thursday afternoon or Friday morning, uh, we'll be good because we'll have some fresh content there, but wanted to thank you all for listening. Thank you to our sponsors. We apologize for the, uh, the long layoff. I think it's the longest one we've had Scott in the years we've done this. Uh, we usually don't go that long without a podcast, but got back up on the horse today and we're, we're moving forward, not looking back. (laughs)
1: Yep, that's why they put our eyes in the the front of our head and (laughs) not in the back of our head. And and somebody who mentioned that to me uh, 25-plus years ago was a guy named Butch Peterson. And, uh, you know, God bless Butch Peterson. He was one of the the best coaches I've ever been around uh, at West Branch. Uh, Fun guy, great guy. Uh, Sad to hear about his passing a week ago. Um, they, They don't make him like Butch anymore. And, um, you know, I, I just remember like today's, today's my, uh, 24th anniversary with my wife congratulations. Thanks. 24 years. It's crazy.
3: We'll be 22 and the 21st.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, congrats early on that. Um, <laughs> uh, but w- we, when I was in Muscatine at the time working, we went on a uh, co-ed bachelor party <laughs> with some of my co-workers and we ended up at uh, Herbert Lou's in <laughs> West, West Branch and had some beers with Butch. And then a few years ago, I stopped over there at the school and uh, talked to Jeff Bowie, you know, after he committed and had a lot of reminiscing with with Butch about the EIHC in those yeah. days. And uh, So anyway, yeah, yeah butch
3: yeah. was uh butch was an institution in west branch and like scott said all of our best and and um to those folks over there who are probably still feeling it and will for quite some yeah. time and are going to go through it again when football season rolls mm-hmm. around uh just horrible man horrible yeah. disease and uh, best to him and his family, and all of his uh, friends and acquaintances over there in West Branch, and everybody else he touched throughout the state. So I'm glad you remembered to mention that, Scott. I know they had a service on Saturday, is out of town, was not able to make it to that. Uh, But uh, I'm sure they'll have some nice things planned for the football season to remember Butch. They've already named the football field after him, so (laughs) he's got that going.
1: The little Butch Butch (laughs) Peterson Rose Bowl, right? Uh, I I thought it was really cool and touching that a lot of the rival schools in the area left on their stadium lights. I think it was Friday night for him. Um, Yeah, tremendous guy, tremendous coach. Some great ones from that era, Rob, you know, yep. the old EIHC, Jim Bellamy, and uh, Ed Hansen, and you know, and you know, then of course Kevin Miller later on at Solon. And he but uh, but Butch is and again one of a kind.
3: No doubt. Rest in peace, Butch Peterson, and uh Rest in peace to this podcast. We will be back next week to talk to more of you folks, uh, or maybe the same folks. But thank you for listening. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Uh, We don't have any trips planned this next week, so hopefully uh, we'll be back later this week to do one and then maybe even back at our regular time spot next week. But I think there are football interviews that day, too. So we'll see what happens. Thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. We will be back next week. No, later this week. All right, I'm going to sign off because I'm stumbling all around. (laughs) Thanks. Scott, say goodbye.
1: Goodbye, Scott.